We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, special guest, Eric Slater, Nets beat reporter for Clutch Points. Eric, great to have you on. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Appreciate you guys for having me on. You know, every uh, every drive home from the Barclays Center, midnight, 1 a.m., you guys were my <laughs> listen this season. So appreciate the great work that you guys do and honored to be a guest on the show. Awesome. Great to have you on. Get some input of what's going on with this Nets offseason. Obviously, a major offseason for the Nets, but in a different way than what we've seen the last couple of years. We're going to jump to that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Hit that subscribe button. Also drop a review. But Eric, we're just going to kick things off with a big question. Will Damian Lillard be a net this offseason? Seems to be the question that everybody's asking. I've, I've covered a lot of, you know, the Dame McHale, Dame Brooklyn connections since, you know, his appearance courtside for game three of the Nets Sixer series. And obviously a lot of it was speculation at that point. But if you would listen to some of Dame's comments about McHale, some of Dame's comments about the type of roster that he liked that they had in Phoenix, it was easy to see how this could be something that had legs. And obviously, despite dame's you know insistence that he's going to be on the roster in portland come the regular season i think it's safe to read into the recent comments that he made about the nets in miami so there's obviously a lot of moving pieces there in terms of how it could look for both teams but based off of what i'm seeing from portland the moves they've made just in prior years leading up to this it doesn't to me it doesn't scream that they're dying to trade that third pick go all in on a roster with dame into the latter stage of his career that honestly is not going to be in the upper echelon of the western conference so if i you know was a gambling man right now i would say that the trailblazers make that third pick i tweeted some stuff out that chris haynes said about dame who he says he's in regular contact with him he said that if the Trailblazers make that third pick and they keep it, there's going to be serious conversations had about potentially parting ways. And I, right now, I think that that's the more likely scenario as opposed to them moving it. And in that scenario, it sounds like the Nets in Miami are his two destinations. And obviously, Dame, wherever he wants to go, is going to play the largest role in where he ends up. And if it's down to those teams and he's you know good either way, I think that the Nets have the assets to outbid them. So right now, I would say that you know, it's tough to put a percentage on it, but I'd say that it's a strong possibility that he could be on the move and that place could be the Nets. 
Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of smoke. Like you said, it started in the, you know, the playoffs, him being a game three, all these different appearances, his love for Mikel Bridges. And also there's just this feel for the Blazers and the way that they're valuing that number three pick that they feel like they're probably not going to get enough in return. So they want to make the pick and they have sharp. He looked great at the end of last season. You know, it's you pair him with scoot and all of a sudden you're really set for rebuild and whatever picks they land in the Dame trade. It just makes a lot of sense. And, you know, they trade off Josh Hart last year at the trade deadline. That kind of signals something that like, hey, maybe we're not that into winning. And their cap situation actually isn't amazing just based off of like the different cap holds they have. So it's not like they have a lot of flexibility to improve that team. And you look at Denver, you look at Phoenix, that's going to be better next season. Can they really compete for a championship in the West? Probably not. So like you said, you know, it seems likely that he'll be traded. And given the competition right now, seems like it's going to be Miami. The Nets have a lot more picks unless, you know, Dame is really locked in on the heat or, you know, Pat Riley can cook up something amazing like he has in the past. It just seems very likely that the Nets could be that team. Now, Eric, what would be the most that you'd be willing to give up for Dame? When you're looking at what the Nets have to offer there, well, one one thing I just want to interject about what you said also, when you're looking at Portland's situation also, Dame's obviously, he's turning 33 years old. He's yeah. about to... You know, this extension's about to kick in where he's going to be making over $60 million at the end of that contract. And if you're looking at a time that you want to be able to get off of a contract like yep. this, Dame is coming off the best statistical season of his career. He was over 30 points a game, like something, you know, his shooting numbers was 37% on 11 three-point attempts per game. It's just, it. this seems like a great time. And I, yep. I don't, as much as Portland loves Dame and all that he's meant to that organization, I think you would be naive to think that that front office and that, you know, ownership group doesn't recognize that if we're going to move off Dame, that this is a great time to do it. Now, um, as it pertains to what I'd be willing to give up for Dame, I've said this whole time that a lot of people talk about this move, whether they want the Nets or don't want it to make it. And they say this team after the Nets would make a move for Dame is a second round team. You know, it's it might be fun. I put some fans in the seats, but it's nothing to be like jumping over joy for. But what I've continued to say is that I don't look at this team if they were to make a Dame trade for what it's going to be next season. I look at it for the resources that they have to make another move after that. Because a Dame-McHale you know, 1-2, that's not a championship level top of the roster. But if they're able to turn McHale into a 3, which is the luxury that they have because of his contract it being so favorable, he's $23 million annually for the next three seasons. A lot of teams with the new CBA, it's very difficult to have three stars on a roster. It's a reality that if Miami was to get in the Dame mix with yep. Bam, Jimmy, and Dame, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to fill out the rest of that roster. The Nets don't have as many of those issues because of McHale. So if they were able to make a trade where they'd be giving up, say, three first-round picks of their own, and then they have a luxury of having guys like Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith, I think the best framework would be three of their own first round picks. And then one of those two guys going to a third team, rerouting another pick to yep. the trailblazers, at which point the Nets would have, you know, still a lot of first round picks left over. They have 11 firsts over the next seven years. That's the fourth most in the NBA. So that's from the picks perspective. If you're talking about what I think would be great for the Nets is if they could just get off their expiring salaries. Yep. A deal that I put out was Dinwiddie, uh, Joe Harris, um, Patty Mills and then Cam Thomas or Dayron Sharp as a sweetener, one of those guys. And that effectively would open up $47 million in cap space for Portland next season. And then if you're able to get them, those four, I mean, five first round picks, that's a lot. But 
you know, that would be the ideal framework. I think the sticking point may be is that Portland may ask for Nick Claxton in that deal. I'd yeah. honestly be surprised if they didn't. And that's the point where, you know, you're talking of look at what, what is Nick Claxton's value? Is he, if he's worth two first round picks, how does that factor into the amount of picks that you want to send back? And if you're looking at the price for what the Nets just got for Kevin Durant, it was Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, four first-round picks. Mikhail and Cam are worth a lot of draft capital. So I think that the Trailblazers would have a tough time giving up Dame, getting, you know, say four first-round picks, but then not having any young pieces who have value coming in. So in a perfect world, I would say, you know, move off some picks, get off the inspiring contrast. But I do think that Nick Claxton is going to be a factor in these negotiations. Yeah. And it also looking at it from the Nets perspective, it's, you know, do you want to pay Nick Claxton next summer? Yep. You know, is when you mentioned the new CBA and now it becomes a contract of, you know, what is Clax demand on the open market? And also, I think another, you know, point, a breaking point in the, the negotiations would be what pick are the Nets giving up? You know, obviously exactly. Portland's going to be wanting to acquire one of those 2029 or even the 2027 picks where the Nets probably want to keep everything, you know, pre-2025 other than that Philly top eight protected pick. So it, it definitely is going to be interesting negotiations if it gets to that point. Um, I think there's a lot of different avenues the Nets could look to pursue it. Like you mentioned, they have the expirings and even somebody like Spencer Dinwiddie going to a third team could potentially land the Nets another first round pick or something like that. You know, I threw together a trade um, off the top of my head. It was uh, the Nets landing Damian Lillard and Zach Collins. They sent out Joe Harris, uh, Royce O'Neal to the Pacers. They sent out uh, Daron Sharp, Cam Thomas, four first round picks and one from the Pacers. But what it also did was allow the Blazers to save 20 million in cap this season. So that would be something that maybe mm. could be enticing. I think uh, a thing I would hope to, uh, the Nets would avoid would be taking uh, Nurkic back, just given that contract look, it's looks like it's going to get pretty nasty and he's proven that he can't really play in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the where it gets dicey if you're giving up Claxton because then you yeah. don't have a center. You likely, you know, you got kind of have to take back Nurkic just so yeah. you have somebody to plug in for at least for next season. And then that's a negative asset or a negative contract. So, you know, that's where it gets difficult. You know, I totally agree with what you said about the picks. I think that that will be an extremely big development in these negotiations. You look at the picks the Nets have, I think, you know, the 2027 Phoenix, the 2029 Phoenix, 2029 Dallas, and then their own picks in 28 and 29. Those are, you know, all unprotected picks. Those are kind of the assets that I think are the most valuable for what they have. So if you could get a deal done, I think in the trade that I put out, it was um, a 2023 this year, uh, they're one of their own, and then Phoenix in 2025, Phoenix in 2027 would probably be you know you won't you don't want to give that up but phoenix is gonna i mean not phoenix um portland's gonna have to get something there so yeah. to concede something if it could be those three within another pick from a third team coming in royce o'neill i think that that would be a really ideal framework but as we saw in phoenix i mean we know with kevin durant he gets hurt a lot you know whether people falling into his legs whether it's yeah. his fault or it's not it's just the reality of the situation he's had an advanced age there's a little bit of new owner syndrome there with Matt Ishbia, and that doesn't always turn out well. So if I'm the Nets, I'm valuing those Phoenix picks extremely highly, and I think the rest of the league will as well. So if they are able to get this done without you know, moving off those late Phoenix picks that are unprotected, or even a pick like Dallas with Luca, same situation. You don't, he's definitely a flight risk there in Dallas yeah. and they're not a franchise that's known for attracting marquee free agents, you know, so all of those later picks, we've known I think what that's Kyrie a huge can do to a franchise. So, 
<laughs> there's there's no, yeah there's no lack of knowledge there the so yeah the, the two biggest developments that I'd be looking for in these in these negotiations is obviously how many picks but which picks are they giving up and Nick Claxton's inclusion in the deal I think that those are going to be the things that are really getting hammered out if this gets to a point where the Nets and Blazers are negotiating. Yeah. And getting back to one of your previous points about acquiring, you know, the next star. And if you're able to maintain those 2029 picks and potentially the 2027 pick, now you have ammo to swing for another superstar potentially, you know, at the deadline or in the the next off season. So that's where it just really is going to get complicated. And, you know, Sean Marks is going to have to think this out pretty well, because like you mentioned as well, you know, we don't envision Dame Lillard and Mikel Bridges, you know, leading the Nets to a championship. It's all about what's the next move after this. And it kind of gets you in the conversation for now we're that real destination where one of these stars that wants to win a championship wants to come, you know, and that's going to be important, but you know, we'll be talking about Dame Lillard probably for the next two weeks, at least, you know, up to the draft. That's where we maybe can get a better idea of what's happening. It kind of, I mentioned on Twitter yesterday, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the Kyrie situation four years ago. You know, we started to get a little traction early in June. By the time draft came along, it was like Kyrie's a lock to come to Brooklyn. He ended up bringing Kevin Durant. Dame's probably not going to bring a Kevin Durant at least yet, but we'll see what kind of happens as that plays out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, this is a tough question, but this is kind of more prediction from you, Eric. How many picks do you expect the Nets to make in this upcoming draft? Obviously, they have 21 and 22 and 51. Do you expect those all those picks to be traded? Do you expect them to keep one, keep two? What are you thinking? As it pertains to the first round picks, I'd be I'd be very surprised if they made both of those picks. I yep. mean, I expect, you know, whether it's Dame or whether it's looking for other upgrades in terms of playmaking, I would expect the Nets to be active on the trade market. I think that they're trying to build a competitive roster now. You know, this goes back to the Dame conversation a little bit, but the two paths that, that have kind of been floated are obviously trading for Dame. And then would you move Mikhail for a third pick to get yeah. a chance at a guy like Scoot Henderson and I, you know, I have a feeling within the Nets ownership and with Sean Marks that there is 
I think that there would be they would be deterred from going that second route a little bit out of fear of optically what would happen if they're a terrible team and those rocket picks end up turning into gold and it's the yeah. Boston trade all over again. I think that you know I don't think it should factor into your decision making because those picks at this point are a sunk cost. It doesn't affect you, you know, better or worse outside of you know optically, but. I do think that they're trying to stay competitive and that they want to stay competitive. So, you know, they already have 11 players on their roster um, for this coming season. I don't think they're looking to use two or three more roster spots on rookies. I think they could move both picks, especially if a trade for Dame, you know, happens. And, you know, if there's a player that they love, they're certainly in position to roster a rookie and have some youth on the team. You know, this is not at this point an all-in championship roster at all. There have been reports that they're interested in Ryan Rupert, who Mark's personally scouted in New Zealand. Uh, they worked out at Xavier guard Colby Jones, you know, other guys, Gigi Jackson, Bilal Kulbali, Leonard Williams, guys who could be in their range. So this is a deep draft, you know, by standards of a lot of the draft analysts. So if I was a betting man, I'd say they move pick and make one selection. And, you know, I would not be surprised at all, though, if they moved both of them. Yeah, I think if the big trade comes, you know, they'll move both of them with ease. But like you said, I think it's very likely they move at least one of those picks, just given I think it was a report from Brian Lewis stating that they were looking for a proven score and a rebounder, you know, something they could acquire. And I think, you know, unless the big trade is out there, you'd like to make a pick, you know, at that spot because it's a deep draft and you could really you know, find a diamond in the rough and somebody who could develop into a nice player kind of down the line. So it'll be interesting. And there's also, you know, the potential of moving somebody who's on the roster to move up in the draft or add another pick. And that kind of leads to our next question. You know, do you expect the Nets to move on from Cam Thomas this offseason? Um, you know, I definitely would not be surprised if the Nets moved on from Cam Thomas, because I think we saw throughout the year that there was somewhat of a disconnect between him and the coaching staff. It did not feel like Jock and his staff were able to get through to him. And, you know, the Nets trade away KD and Kyrie. They're resetting the timeline. All the expectations are somewhat out the window outside of just making the playoffs. And even then, with the Nets in desperate need of scoring, he still wasn't getting minutes, you know, down the yeah. stretch of the season and only got a few minutes in the playoff series. And, you know, I, I've got a lot of questions on mailbag pods and articles about why isn't Cam playing? Why is a guy like Seth Curry playing? You know, the thing that I always went back to is that when you look at comments from Jock Vaughn and just the Nets front office of how they built this team out dating back to Kenny Atkinson's days, they've been a team that's wanted to take a lot of threes. Jock Vaughn was adamant throughout the season. I want to take 40 plus threes again. That's the style that they're trying to play a running gun style. And when you look at Cam Thomas's shot chart last season, he took over 40 percent of his shots from the mid range. He, he wasn't very efficient on those shots. He was around 31 percent on those shots. So you know, if you're taking a lot of the shots that the Nets coaching staff doesn't want to take and you're not, you know, shooting efficiently on them, it's going to be tough for them to play you. And that's not even mentioning some defensive deficiencies yeah. that he has. So, you know, that mid-range heavy approach on top of them already having a guy in McHale who is ranking towards the top of the league in terms of mid-range volume, I think that that's difficult. But at the same time, Cam is a guy who's 21 years old, became the first player in NBA history or the became the second player in NBA history to score 40 plus points, uh, second youngest in NBA history to score 40 plus points in three straight games. The potential is there. It's just that it doesn't feel like the coaching staff has been able to get through to him. And that's not too surprising given everything that's transpired and everything the coaching staff has been dealing with these last couple of seasons. But to answer your question, I think to some you know teams who are rebuilding around the league, I think Cam Thomas would have some value. And I don't think that the Nets would be, they wouldn't be, you know, too hesitant, I think, to cash in on what he did last season.
Yeah, there was rumblings last offseason the Nets could have moved him for a first-round pick, and that could potentially be the same thing. Like you mentioned, had that historic stretch of those three straight 40-point games. I think he joined a list of Hall of Famers to do that in the rookie season. So pretty incredible stuff. And like you said, there seems to be just a disconnect, and some of that could be also just he idolized you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the way that then maybe they spoke of the organization or the way that relationship kind of broke up could have rubbed him the wrong way. So it's really interesting. And I think uh, we'll obviously have a better idea by the end of this offseason and how they kind of fit him into the rotation if he's still on the team next year, because it's clear he's talented and it's clear that he can improve as a three point shooter and show an ability to get to the rim during that 40 point stretch. You know, he was getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line. It just became very inconsistent with his decision making and, you know, where he was taking those shots. Yeah, he he improved a lot from three last year. Yeah. I think he was over close to over 40%. But the thing that I go back to a lot is that a lot of those threes were in that, you know, he shot very well from three during that historic three-game stretch. And a lot of those threes in that stretch were off the dribble because yep. he had the ball so much. He's not very comfortable as a spot-up shooter. And I saw it at a lot of points last season when he was playing, whether it was alongside Mikhail or alongside KD and Kyrie. A lot of him spotting up in the corner, a lot of him getting kickouts and him being open and not wanting to pull the trigger yep. on those shots so I think that that's definitely something that he has to improve upon and I think that that's a reason when you're looking at you know the Nets and what they were with McHale and some of the issues that they had down the stretch of the season they wanted spacers around him they wanted guys who were comfortable taking those shots and you know Seth DFS Royce those were the guys that they were really inclined to lean on in those situations so not to say that Cam can improve in those areas it's just that he hasn't shown it yet and the coaching staff hasn't shown the ability to really bring what they want out of him. So yeah, that's how it kind of lies. Yeah. And he's also showed some real improvement. I think as a passer last year, it showed some really good flashes, but it wasn't consistent enough. And defensively, we know that's an issue. I think really on ball isn't as bad as it seems. It's really the off ball stuff. He seems to consistently get lost, you know, no matter the coverage, you know, in the pick and roll or just losing his man, but moving on from cam Thomas, Another young player in this team that really popped off last season, Nick Claxton, and we mentioned him earlier, you know, contract will be expiring this year. The Nets aren't able to give him extension because of the contract he signed previously. What are your thoughts on him and his likelihood of being on the Nets, you know, next season, or is it time to maybe look to move him to get value in case you lose him next year? Yeah, you know, as we touched on before, I think a lot of it depends on the Lillard situation because mm-hmm. I think that he could definitely be involved in that deal. You know, outside of that, I don't think that it's, you know, I think Nick has the season that he had last year. A lot of people, the idea of trading him just kind of sounds crazy to people. And I mm-hmm. understand that, but he has a, he'd have a ton of value around the league, you know, after what he showed last season, not just his improvement defensively, but his improvement on the yeah. offensive end. And this is really the first full year sample size that we've gotten from him. We know he struggled with injuries and some illnesses early in his first three seasons. So that his improvement there, his improvement, even as just a free throw shooter, him being able to be committed to mm-hmm. that. I know that the Nets really love what they saw from him just off the court in terms of his preparation, his professionalism. Jock Vaughn, you know, raved about it at several points throughout the season. You know, like you said, he's making $8.7 million this season. If you're talking about a talent to salary, you know, ratio, that's yeah. got to be one of the best in the league after what he's shown. And, you know, but then after that, he's going to get paid this summer. I talked about the new CBA, you know, that it's going to, you're going to see a lot of these type of deals, which I project Nick to probably get something close to what Jared Allen got with Cleveland, maybe a little bit more somewhere in like the early, the low twenties, 
you're not going to see as many of those deals in the NBA now with this new CBA. It really isn't set up if you're trying to build a roster with multiple star players, which you normally need to win a championship. It's not really set up to have that kind of, you know, salary outside of maybe one guy. So you're eventually the Nets and you're trying to make Michaela number three. I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago. And you want to have two guys, you know, ahead of Mikhail who are making big numbers, you're going to have to make some tough decisions. You're not going to be able to have multiple players making $20 million. And, you know, you have Cam, Cam Johnson, who we'll touch on, I'm sure, but it's just, they're going to have some decisions to make. So if I had to guess, I would think that if a Lillard outside of being in, involved in a Lillard deal, I would expect Nick to be back here this season, because I do think they, you know, have a lot of issues in the front court. And I think they value what he was able to do on both ends of the floor. Yeah. And he seems to be a favorite of his teammates too. You know, Mikel Bridges says yep. he really enjoyed playing with him. I think he said, you know, he's a guy that impressed him the most. And like you mentioned, Nick really took strides offensively. Obviously we know what he can do defensively. And I think probably the biggest jump for him was conditioning, you know, his ability to stay on the court and play an entire game where we've seen in past seasons, he couldn't last 15 to 20 minutes. And I think there's plenty of room for him to grow, you know, his ability off the dribble, I think is something interesting. His ability to drive a little bit. We see him working on his three point shot. Not sure if that'll ever come to fruition, but it was something he did have in college. So very interesting conversation with Clax and Jack and I, huge fans of Clax. You know, Jack is called the pod Clax City sometimes. So we'll see what works out with him and if he's included in a big trade or whatever comes with it. Because like you mentioned, it's going to be tough to pay him if you really want to build a championship team. And that kind of leads us to our next guy, you know, Cam Johnson. You know, he's a guy that is a restricted free agent, was one of the key components of the Kevin Durant trade. But he's also one of the most attractive free agents on the market to teams like the Detroit Pistons and Houston Rockets. So what would be the most money you'd be willing to give Cam Johnson per year? Yeah, I think when you look at, you know, you look at that, you know, same kind of deal as that Claxton, you know, in the new CBA fitting into that $20 million range. The uh, number that we've heard, uh, Mike Scotto, uh, a guy that I've worked with on the Nets beat, he floated, I think, four years, 90 million yep. was the number that he's heard from its ex. I think, you know, Mikhail is under contract for, like I said, $23 million annually over the next three seasons. I think getting up to around that number would be, that would be pushing it for the Nets. And I mm -hmm. think, I think they would be willing to go there. But beyond that, if you're getting into, you know, the mid nineties pushing up towards a hundred million. I think that that's, that's going to be difficult. And I do think that I would expect the Nets to try to negotiate a deal before the start of free agency. You listen to what Cam said during his exit interview. He spoke extremely highly of the organization. He recognizes the opportunity he has in Brooklyn and expanded role. He uh, said remaining teammates with Mikhail will obviously play a factor, but he did turn down a 70 plus million dollar offer from Phoenix last season. So he made a gamble on himself. And now, like I said, that number is nearing four years, 90 million. After winning that gamble, he's not going to leave significant money on the table. So I do think they'll try to hammer out a deal and not let it get to restricted free agency. And, you know, even if it does, I do think teams like the Rockets and Pistons will be you know, interested in him. But at the same time, they're going to be working within the same constraints of that CBA. Yep. So I'm a little I'm not sure that they're going to be eager to put a bloated mid to high 20 million dollar salary on their pay 
role when that's really a deal that is not advantageous in the new CBA. So I feel good about Cam Johnson, where he stands with the Nets and him being back there next season. Yeah, I would say probably the max number would be 25 mil a year. And that seems like that would even be a lot, but that would probably be an offer sheet from one of those teams. So they were feeling really aggressive. Yeah. And bad teams do that sometimes. You know, we've seen that in the past as well. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Like you said, hopefully they can get it done. Maybe if they could even front load the contract, I think that'd be something to kind of consider. Considering if they don't land Dame, they could open up money down the line with Ben Simmons potentially expiring in a couple of years. And now all of a sudden you're looking at a really nice contract. But like you mentioned, Scotto mentioned four years, 90 million. I think that's exact contract Mikel Bridges signed. I think it's 90 million and 900,000. So that'd be kind of funny. The twins sign the same contract and, you know, it works out for everybody mm-hmm. kind of involved. And I think you feel really good about, you know, those two being your three, four if you're contending for a champion. But moving on from Cam Johnson, kind of talk about some of the other role players. If you had to say, you know, one role player is getting moved this summer, who would it be? And that's a guy under contract, obviously. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've wrote about this also. I think it definitely has to be between Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. Yep. Those are the two guys, you know, as we know, the Nets, the Nets jokingly went from throughout most of the uh, KD Kyrie era having no wings. Yeah. Now they just have all the wings. Yep. So there's definitely a surplus there on the wing, you know, between Mikhail, Cam, uh, Dorian, Royce, you know, even a guy like Joe Harris with his struggles still is at that position. We know that both of those guys have value around the league. It was reported that the Nets were offered two first round picks for DFS at the deadline. They could have gotten another one for O'Neal. I think there's a very high chance that one of those guys has moved that summer just to kind of clear that log jam, you know, get some money off the books. You know, another thing that we didn't just touch on with Cam is the luxury tax that I think is going to play a big role in his negotiations because the Nets are pushed up against it. And signing him to a new contract at any number reasonably, you know, 20, whatever it is, it's going to put them over the luxury tax. And then they're in the repeater tax, which if you're in the luxury tax three times in four years, you're in the repeater tax, which means that you get taxed like $2.50 on every dollar. And then every 5 million, that increases incrementally. So it's really, really difficult to build out rosters. I think that the Nets would like to reset that. But if they're signing... Uh, Cam Johnson to a new contract, they have to get off someone. They're they're going to be around nine, ten million dollars over. You know that could be one of these guys, but you would have to do that without incurring any salary. So that would have to be with a team either with cap space or with a trade exception. So yeah, basically, I just I think that one of these two guys is likely to get moved. If you're talking about which one. I, I honestly might lean towards DFS just because the Nets really spoke highly of Royce at a yeah. lot of points during the season. Jock Vaughn spoke at several points about how much he trusts him down the stretch of games, you know, the faith that he put in him. And also, I think it's important to note that the Nets ahead of the season, you know, in the offseason, they went out of their way to trade for Royce. They picked him. They went mm-hmm. after him. Not that they didn't want DFS. I'm sure they did. But that was a situation that was spurred by Kyrie Irving's trade request. So, you know, DFS might be a guy that they're extremely high on. They could have had their eye on him. But to me, it does. it is significant that one guy they went out of their way to acquire and one guy was kind of spurred by a request from somebody else. If you're looking at the contract situations, DFS under contract for $28 million over the next two seasons. Then he's got a $15 million player option in 25, 26. Royce O'Neal's a $9.5 million expiring. So obviously it depends on what you project his market to be and how much he wants to be back here. But if I had to pick between the two of what I think is most likely, I think that 
Royce would be back and DFS maybe on the move just from him having more value. Royce also being on a cheaper deal. So that's yeah. how I see it right now, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. Like you mentioned, Vaughn clearly loves Royce O'Neal. And I think uh, he kind of fits the criteria of, you know, what they want to set the vibe and the culture of the team, not to say DFS doesn't, but like you said, wasn't the guy they picked could potentially land them, you know, more value because he has, you know, a contract he's not expiring. It'll be interesting to see if they can find, you know, is it, you know, the Pistons, the Rockets, the Pacers, one of these teams with cap space to just absorb the contract and send a pick. And that would be huge for the luxury tax, but also huge for potentially in a Dame trade or another big trade. But it, we'll see how it all kind of plays out with those guys. And I guess quickly, um, in terms of the free agents, we already touched on Cam Johnson, but we have Yuta Watanabe, uh, David Duke Jr., Seth Curry, Drew Smith. Out of those guys, who do you expect to be back? Seth Curry, I gone. I do See not expect later. him back. Yeah, it's, it's not. I mean, I think that they like Seth, but I, it just doesn't match up timeline-wise, and I think that he's ready for another opportunity. Uh, Yuta, I think that the Nets would like to have him back. I think a big development in that would be, are they in the tax? Because, you know, like I just said with the Cam Johnson situation, if they're in the tax, they're going to have the $6.8 million tax level, mid-level, taxpayer mid-level. That's what they'll have available. If they're not in the tax, they'll have the full $11 million mid-level. After what Yuta did last season, even though it kind of fizzled out after the stars left, I do think he did enough to command more than a minimum salary. And, you know, I'm not sure how eager the Nets are going to be to use that on him. That could go to a piece in the front court because we saw the struggles that the Nets had, you know, with backup center behind Nick Claxton. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Yuta's back, but I do think a lot of that depends on how much money are they working with in free agency, how close to the luxury tax are they, and if he's going to command a deal that's pushing you know, closer to four, five, six million dollars per year from another team, I think it's going to be difficult for them to retain him. Um, outside of that, uh, David Duke, DJ, he's got a $2 million qualifying offer. He's a restricted free agent. You know, I, They like him. He was third in the G League MVP voting last season. I would expect him to be back. Uh, Drew Smith, who they signed on the two-way midway through the season, he's got a 1.8 million qualifying offer. I'd also expect him to be back on a similar type of deal. And he's a guy that I like, I think shows some promise. So, you know, if I had a guess, I would say that those two are back. I think it might be difficult for them to retain Utah, but I think they would like to if possible. Yeah, I think uh, David Duke Jr. is a guy that could potentially take a, a jump next season. And I think he'd be the perfect type of guy you could get maybe not in a super long term contract, but maybe two or three years at a cheap number that's ideal for this CBA. And I think you've put a lot of time in developing him and seeing what he can do. And like you mentioned with Yuta, it's going to be interesting to see what his market's like. Obviously, was really hot from three in the first half of the year, cooled off, dealt with the injuries. And that's kind of been an issue for his career. He's always had these hot stretches, but then had these little injuries that kind of knocked him off his momentum. Him. But like you said with Seth, I think that ship has sailed. It just it just felt like a bad fit after the trade deadline. It just didn't really vibe with the team. And, you know, his skill set isn't necessarily ideal with what they have. He's a better fit, I think, complementing stars. But I guess last question before we get out of here, Eric, will the Nets use the trade exception based off of what you've said about the CBA? I feel like I know what your answer is going to be. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult. This is uh, I mean, they used the trade exception last offseason with Royce O'Neal, but, but you know, it's going to be difficult for them to take on additional money with where they might be at. Now, this this all is tricky. If they if they trade for Damian Lillard and they're going, you know, all in. very aggressive and all in this season, it could change. But I do think that 
they see a benefit and there definitely is a benefit in the CBA of resetting that uh, repeater tax, resetting the tax sheet so that they're not in that repeater tax moving forward. Even if they were to make a move for Dame, you don't want to be in that every season because that's difficult. And if this is the year that they're able to reset that and then go into these next coming years, being more aggressive and having that luxury of pushing up, you know, closer to that second apron and really spending some money. I think that that could be something that they do. So I, I don't think that they're going to be utilizing that. I wouldn't expect it right now. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they do utilize, whether it's the taxpayer mid-level exception or whether they they have the full mid-level exception. I think that those could be tools that could be used to get a veteran piece maybe in the front court who could compliment Nick Claxton and really help with the rebounding. Because we heard Jock Vaughn after the last game, he said – we need to get bigger. We need to get nastier. Yeah. He, he could, there was a little bit of attitude in his comments. You know, yeah. he was not happy with how the Nets were rebounding. I wouldn't be either. They lost a second chance points battle 80 to 22 in the first round against Philly. Even when uh, Joel Embiid was out and it's B-ball Paul Reed in there, they're getting yeah. dominated by him and by uh, PJ Tucker's embarrassing them. So there definitely is an urgency to get more of those pieces in there that can help on the boards. And I think that an exception could be used to do that. I just think it would be more along the lines of one of the mid-level or tax payer mid-level as opposed to the trade exception. Yeah, or even potentially, you know, instead of using the taxpayer or the the full mid-level, they could opt to use a trade exception, only use partial of it. You know, I think somebody yeah. that comes to mind would maybe be like a Bobby Portis if they were able to swing something like that. He kind of fits the bill for some of that nastiness, but we'll see how it all kind of plays out. I think, you know, the first question we started with is going to really dictate the rest of the offseason. You know, is Damian Lillard becoming a Brooklyn Net? And if he does, that's going to open up a lot of different things. But Eric, really appreciate you, you taking time to hop on. Let the people know where they can find you and find your work. Find all my stuff on clutchpoints.com, news, updates, analysis, rumors, everything. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore. Also hosting a, pod, a podcast on the Believe Podcast Network called Believe in Nets. So follow all that stuff. Really appreciate you guys for having me on. I look forward to you guys being my drive home listen after every game next season. and. You know, a lot in store for the next month. So can't to hear, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. Yeah, I highly recommend following Eric. Uh, Jack and I obviously use his postgame quotes consistently during our recaps. He's on top of his game. Make sure we're connected with the coaches and everything going on with the net. So really appreciate him. Big thanks to everybody listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.